0: Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty, hosted by Jodi Katz, founder and creative director of Base Beauty Creative Agency. Hey there. Um, before we start the show, I'm going to ask you to look in the mirror. Mm, I'll wait a second. Oh, you know what? Just put your phone on selfie mode so you can see yourself. Okay, smile. If you're not proud of your smile, if your teeth look dingy or yellow, I know something that can help. You don't have to spend hundreds of dollars or hours at the dentist to whiten your teeth. Check out Hi Smile. Their at-home alternative doesn't cause any pain or sensitivity, and is a finishing touch to your beauty routine. I'm on the High Smile Teeth website right now, and the teeth whitening kit with their new non-peroxide teeth whitening gel is less than sixty bucks. If you're not sure if High Smile is right for you, just read some of their reviews. There's over seventeen thousand reviews. The product is easy to use and takes just ten minutes a day for six days to get your teeth two shades whiter. And they're offering all of our listeners 20% off for a limited time only. Use the code WBMB to receive 20% off High Smile. If you buy High Smile, please drop us a DM and let us know what you think. We'll gladly share your feedback with the High Smile team. Now let's get started with our show. Hey, everybody. It's Jody Katz, your host of Where Brains Meet Beauty podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. Today's episode features John Costanza. He is the CEO of Beauty Quest Group. And if you missed last week's episode, it featured Victoria Watts. She's the founder of Victoria Land Beauty. I hope you enjoy the shows. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. I am proud to be sitting with John Costanza. He is the chief executive officer at Beauty Quest Group. Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty.
1: Glad to be here.
0: Is this your first podcast? It is. Oh, cool.
1: Kind of weird. <laughs> Small little room, pink microphone.
0: So, um, let's start with my favorite question, which is how will you spend the day today?
1: I'm actually from here going to the airport, I'm going to see our one of our biggest customers, Sally Beauty, in Dallas, Texas, so spend a couple days there with some management team and then going to Florida, uh, customers there, so it's going to be a long week.
0: And is that your last part. trip before the holiday break?
1: Yep, yep, looks like that way.
0: So, um, what is Beauty Quest Group?
1: So, Beauty Quest Group is a, it's actually a spin-off. There's a, what happened is um, Conair uh, owned a group of companies and, and divisions of different companies. And um, and one of those divisions was what we call a liquids division That's that produces uh, liquid shampoos, conditioners, um, pomade, styling, all the stuff for, for beauty in general. And... Um, uh, about months back, uh, the Conair decided to divest parts of the business and, uh, and one of those businesses was the liquids part of the business. So um, Beauty Quest Group is is a brand new company um, owned by uh, a private equity company called Transom Capital. Uh, we got to actually name the company, which was a great thing, and we thought Beauty Quest is probably an appropriate name because it's a new journey and a new quest. And, so it, is, it represents three different brands, some um, brands you may have heard of or, or not. One is called Quage. the other one's called Rusk, and, and the other one's called One and Only. And it also produces private label manufacturing. Uh, we have a manufacturing plant based in Illinois. So, And a uh, great group of team members, over three, 400 people on the field and in production and in marketing and sales. And, uh, and we are BeautyQuest Group.
0: So, um, walk us through um, the highlights of the process of selling off those businesses because you were at Conair before this, right? Mm-hmm. You're running these businesses. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, is this something you'd ever done before? Uh,
1: no, I've I've been on the buying side uh, with mergers and acquisitions, but never on the selling side. This is so it was a unique thing, and um, it's it's sort of a almost a speed dating uh feel to it because what you do is you prepare months in advance the portfolio of the companies and and all the revenues and the profits and the and also the case it's almost like a case study you're preparing a case study a model study of what the business can look like if you stand it alone and all the pieces that go with it so you know what what we would have to do to stand it alone all the shared services and 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 then you look at projections for multiple years and you put that on a, a powerpoint basically a powerpoint presentation and uh and in that uh you use that as a pitch for for many different companies to come in and, and look at their portfolio so we put that together and we hired a broker and the broker sends out this deck to many PE firms, strategic companies, all, all different type of companies that would be interested in, in buying a portfolio company or looking at beauty in general in, in our space. And uh, and then um, the pitch comes. So uh, it, it started off in October last year and we were in New York City and as you know, we're based in Stanford, Connecticut, our, our, our HQ. And um, we were coming to the city every other day, uh, pitching to three or four different PE firms for multiple months, a couple, at least two, or three months. And uh, and you're pretty much speed dating. You're doing the same presentation over and over, telling them all about what I just told you, and uh, and why we think we're so great and why they should buy it. And uh, and they pitch to you why they think they're a perfect fit and why they should buy it. And and then it comes down to. The final three, which is like a, a dating it's final like the three, and then yeah, and then you sort of figure out if you're good for the relationship, and and then we pick one that we want to be exclusive to, and then we start going into a, a due diligence mode. So, pretty interesting process, very interesting process.
0: And what do you think about your background and your expertise that made you the right person to lead that?
1: Um, I had a, I have a passion in beauty. You know, I, I've been in the professional industry for such a long time, so. Uh, when I speak about the brands or the business, I speak with with passion. I speak with the history. Um, we can call it a skill set, but I, I speak as if I know what I'm talking about. So, so most leaders uh, probably get into this situation and might not know enough about the business and the space that they're in. But they're pitching and they're pitching something that is an unknown to them. Where it wasn't that that case with me. I knew exactly the customer channels the. The opportunities, the potential, the team. Uh I knew the brands very well. So it was it came natural to me.
0: Were there any uh, meetings when you present and you're like, ugh, I bombed?
1: Oh yeah, the very first one. The very first one uh was it was just very new and I've presented many times, but the very first presentation I, I, I looked back and I said, Well, I mean, that's not me. That's not gonna happen again. So you have to retool and and get your mindset going. It's all a mindset. It's really a game with your your own self and just retool and and go back at it.
0: So um, in retrospect, what was going on in that meeting? Were you not prepared or were you just like, was it just the newness of
1: it? yeah i didn't know what to expect mm-hmm. I, I didn't know what the audience was like you're sitting in front of pe firms and you don't know if it's going to be very analytical and analytical driven data driven or is it going to be hey do you know do you have the passion around the brand or you're selling yourself you you didn't know really what to, to look for and and i and at the time i actually didn't know whether i was going to stay with conair or actually go with this business so it was there was a lot of going on in my mind trying to figure out what, what's what's the play here. And should I spin it enough where it's me or is it the business they're looking for?
0: Right. That's so interesting. Um, you know, so full disclosure, um, you're our client. And we represent um, your liquid brands um, through social and influencer marketing and PR. And um, so we were working with you guys during this time. Um, and my guess is most of the people we're working with, now that I think about it, didn't know if they were going Staying or going? Well, th-
1: there's a team that pretty much knew that they were going uh, because they their bus- their their responsibilities was all around the liquids part of the business, the rusk and the quash. And then there was a team that actually that worked on both parts of the business. When I say both, there was a part of the business and the pro side that stayed with Conair, which was the appliances and the tools and so forth. So anybody that actually crossed over on both, like myself or some, uh, some of the marketing team or logistics were creative, they didn't know which side they were gonna be on. Some of them came forward and said, I wanna be, you know, John, I wanna follow you or I wanna follow, I don't want to be at Con Air anymore. I want to try something different. And I want to take a leadership role. So there was various people that did come up and 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 said where they want to be or I want to stay at Con Air. But um, there's a group of people that it came down to the last minute to try to figure out how do we split it.
0: So. Right. So um, as a leader, you're trying to lead the sale process. You're trying to lead the continued success of the brands as they are under Con Air. And then you're leading – um, some team members who feel confident in their role and many team members who might not know where they land. That's a lot all at one time. Yeah,
1: yeah. There's a lot going on. <laughs> it's a perfect store.
0: So um, let's get to your history. Right? You have um, a very long career in, in hair. Um, what was that first job in the hair industry?
1: Uh, I was a sales consultant, what we call a DSE or Distributor Sales Consultant, that called on hair salons. So I, I represented a brand called Joico, and you may know it, and and uh, we went in and really pitched the product you know pitched uh, everything that pitched it to salons salons for consumption whether they're using it in the salon or for services or retailing it and retailing was hot at the time through salons professional products at that time was really on a surge it was the first in in that time it was in the 90s it was the first blush of professional products being sold and and having really a, a big voice in in beauty in general and Um, so I would, you would go to salons and build relationships and, and pitch your brand and, and explain all the reasons why they should be buying the brand, your brand over their brand. And I will tell you, it's all about relationships. It's really at at that point, salon owners and our industry is very much, and it's an emotional business, very passionate business, but it's very much relationship business. So you go in there you become a partner with them and if they trust you then they're gonna give you your business and cause they can there's a bunch of sales reps that walk in every day and and, and solicit their product.
0: So before the Joyco job, um, did you have a passion to get into the hair industry? No,
1: I I, I I didn't even know what hair industry was my friends were hairdressers and barbers. I knew that but I'd never thought in a million years I would get into the space unless you were a hairdresser. I didn't even know there was a hair care component to it or beauty space that that is v- different for a guy like me or i was a marketer at the time i thought it was going to be head of a marketing department maybe a creative agency or advertising agency that's that's what i thought it was going to do and, and i got into this space by fluke
0: and where did you grow up
1: in toronto canada
0: and is yeah. that where this job was
1: yeah it was mm-hmm. yeah, yeah local area in, in toronto that was my geography
0: and what um what was the next step after joyco
1: Well, Joico, the great thing about Joico is over time I had opportunities to be a sales manager and then a general manager for the same operation in in Canada, small operation in Toronto. Um, And then uh, Joico itself was actually based in California. So I I got to know the owner very well and and I was a performer. So he he knew who I was, I knew who he was. And um, there was an opportunity to be in the USA uh, working for him as a regional calling on independent distributors. Um, and I, I took the leap and it was one of the things that we had a great connection and he gave me the opportunity and that was the first glimpse of me going from Canada to the USA and working the U.S. market.
0: So you moved to the U.S. at that point?
1: Yep. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no, actually, no, I'll take that back. I actually worked back and forth. I might as well moved to the U.S. because I was working from Monday through Friday in, in parts of the U.S. I had a visa to go back and forth. and and worth the market and my wife and i decided our kids were so young that let's keep them grounded in canada with family surrounding us and and let me do that the you know the job back and forth and it was like trains planes and automobiles every day
0: and how many years did you do that for two years Mm -hmm. so for two years monday through friday you were on the road home on the weekends and pack the bag and start all over again right right. what was that like um as a family dynamic for you as a parent and
1: your relationship with your co-parent, your wife, well, I was a tough one, and not just my parents. I mean, the family members and everything. My mother thought it was crazy. My parents thought it was nuts. I and mean, they open—they were immigrants, so they opened up an t- opportunity to me have a stable life in Canada. And they thought they have done everything possible to take the risks factor out of our lives. And then all of a sudden, I decide to do something like this. And um, and my wife, um, very supportive with all my careers and. And for us to decide to be grounded was was a, a good thing for the family. Her, her family was surrounding her and where we lived. And so was my family for support. And the kids were young. My kids were at the time four, two and one. And um, and it, we thought it was just too much of a culture shock to, for them to to move to the U.S. or do anything in the U.S. But um, it was I, I'd say about six months in we already had. It was just a difficult thing for me to be away from my family. And, and the kids were so young, so you're missing a lot of things. And, uh, it was actually two years too much. It was, it was a lot. And luckily there was an opportunity that came up that brought me back to Canada. And, um, and I, I didn't make that leap, that opportunity when it came. So we all know that it was a blessing and my wife will tell you today that she became an independent person or independent mother, uh, throughout that time. And it was a change in her life, uh, for the better, uh, but it was a lot of work. A lot of work. So what was that next opportunity? Uh, one of my distributors was Sally Beauty. Uh, they were starting to make acquisitions in the U.S. of independent distributors and going into what it is today, which is a pretty big arm. And they were uh, looking at acquiring independent distributors in Canada. And they knew I was Canadian, Canadian born. I was going back and forth. And they, they said that there's an opportunity for a GM position. And in this GM position, we're going to make rampant acquisitions and and make Canada of a, a, a big stomping ground for beauty f- for us and um, and the opportunity came as a general manager
0: so um let's just um take a pause in your story to explain the mechanics of the professional hair industry because for our listeners who focus on consumer beauty products it's very different can you just give me the the simple outline of how this business
1: works it's not simple <laughs> it's simple to us when you're in the beauty industry for long. It's it's simple to us but what happens is when you when you have a brand, a brand portfolio, anything like Joico or anything else in, in this industry, you're selling through salons, right? So you're typically making the brand, selling it through a distributor, and the distributor sells it to the salon, and the salon ultimately sells it to a consumer. And that has evolved over time because we have players like Ulta that sell professional brands, Amazon that sell professional brands. And independent distributors are uh, fewer and far between at this point. You're dealing with big conglomerates like Sally Beauty, who holds a, a BS, BSG arm or Cosmoprof that sells B2B, that sells to hairdressers. They have trade stores across the country. They have sales reps across the country that call on salons like I did. And uh, and then you have L'Oreal has a distribution arm that's similar to that. And um, so those two conglomerates own the space when it comes to distribution. Um, But they ultimately sell to the end user. They sell to the hairdresser who sells to the end user in our space.
0: So your brands move through from your company through to BSG Mm -hmm. for sale at the Cosmoprof stores and or through the hair salons. Mm -hmm. And then to either the back bar, so when they're using the products at the salon, or a customer is buying it off the shelf at retail at the salon.
1: Correct. Okay. Or direct to Alta, and then Alta sells it to consumers. So that that Alta arm is a new arm for us, relatively new. They've been in business probably over ten years, but. It's new to the professional beauty space, and and it's become a, a strong arm for consumer recognition in the professional industry.
0: And then Amazon sell you sell these products at Amazon. They're professional products sold at Amazon, but not at the professional price, right? There's a pricing difference. Right. So can sell, you talk about that a little
1: bit? Their pricing is like Ulta's pricing, so mm-hmm. retail pricing. They sell directly to the consumers. Um, most brands at this point deal Amazon directly. Um, uh, what we call a gated community, so you don't have a lot of third parties trying to sell product on online. And they sell to consumers. They could sell to consumers at, at the retail price, just like Ulta does and consumers' retail outlets right. do.
0: So then the pro who's looking for those products, they're not going to shop at Amazon because they'd be pr- paying retail price. No, not
1: yet. That, that's something Amazon is testing as a B2B strategy that goes right to hairdressers but and, and salon owners, but that's not the case. That's not their core competency. Right now, it's consumer.
0: I just um, was with the hair a stylist um, last week, and she was um, saying she wanted I one of your products, I went some aquash product, but she couldn't find it, in, you know, in New York City. Um, and we were, you know, she's lamenting at how, you know, the, the Amaz- obviously she could buy it on Amazon, but then she's paying right. Amazon retail pricing and not um, styling pricing. So, um, you know, there's always, I guess, an opportunity for your customer, right. whether she's a pro or the consumer, to find what she wants, when she wants it, where she wants it, right? right and it's right. A, it's an um a moving target right yeah, it is. as it digital is. evolves yeah
1: and it's a difficult thing because our brands are they live in a specialty world because they're you know, you're selling it through your distribution channels most of the time your distribution channels are an exclusive one you have a exclusive relationship with them and potentially you can't sell you don't sell to other distributors you, you have that relationship with them and um that makes it not as accessible for uh, a beauty uh, salon owner or hairdresser that doesn't shop at cosmprof so that's why there's an option like salon-centric. We don't sell to with most of our brands, but there's options there as well. Then, then a hairdresser can shop there. But if they want a brand and they like a brand, because we're so specialty as a trade person, it's very difficult to get if you're not shopping at Cosmoprof. Mm-hmm. And on the consumer side, Ulta is is the animal at this point. Amazon is secondary, and, and they're growing in this platform, but Ulta is the professional place of choice for, for retail. So if you're dealing with Ulta, at least consumers can go online and find a product at Ulta.
0: Right. What we've heard from stylists that we've talked to is that they will shop full retail price at Ulta because they get their points at, Ul- at Ulta, and then it, it fuels their spending on things outside of Yeah, their of points
1: program is fantastic. I mean, my wife shops there, so it finds... <laughs> all kinds of cosmetics and their points program is great and it's worth it. But it's, for a hairdresser's point of view, you're not, you know, you're not getting any uh, better price because you could get, if you're buying trade to trade, you're, you're getting a better price. Right.
0: So um, let's, thank you for that education. Um, let's get back to your career. So uh, was it 14 years at Sally?
1: Yeah, almost 15 years at, at Sally in, in an executive role, um, really growing the Canadian operation. It was a small operation, uh, at the time, um, I started very young. I mean, I was, I, was, I was a GM at 30 years old, so there, there's a lot of pressure there. And, and it was a small uh, 45 stores, about 50 sales consultants, and then it grew into 200 stores and, and about 100 sales consultants. So it got pretty big in 15 years.
0: So let's just take a step back. You're um, out of college. Your friends are stylists, and one of them says, "Oh, I'll introduce you to someone. At, you know, for a job, mm-hmm. right?" So this is an accident, right?
1: <laughs> it was it was very much an accident. My friend was a salon owner, and and he he said to me, "You know, the just your demeanor and your marketing know how and your style, I think you'd be great as a sales rep selling hair care to hair salons." i mean, I I, don't, I didn't know what he was talking about. And he said, uh, "I'll introduce you to the GM of Joico in Canada, and, and uh, get you connected, and see if he has an opportunity for you." And, and it just, it just sort of follow my pull up. And I, I think I was getting my haircut at the time when he told me.
0: Are you still connected with that stylist? Yeah. Oh, that's yeah.
1: awesome. Yeah, he's still in Toronto. He's got a place in Florida. I'll probably see him at the end of this week and chat with him. But uh, I, it's one of those things that uh, I was, We always look back, and, and I say to him, "He's the guy who started me in this industry. You know, he's so got cool. me to where I am today."
0: Um, you know the human to human connection is so important, yeah. even as we digitize everything yeah. or bought everything. Um, so after f- almost fifteen years at Sally, why leave?
1: Um, this L'Oreal came to me. Uh, L'Oreal was one of my my biggest suppliers at at uh, Sally Beauty, and when L'Oreal knocks on your door, you're going to listen. Uh, it's it's the biggest beauty player in, in our industry, whether it's consumer or professional. Um, it was going back to the U.S. working in New York City, which was quite interesting uh, for me. And I I was at the time of my life where I had been a GM for 14, 15 years. Um, My family has gotten older. Uh, I had a great team. Everything was pretty much humming. And when you get to that point, you get to a point where you start to realize you need a a, a more. Some people couldn't coast that way, but I was still young and I I needed a challenge. And and L'Oreal came knocking at the right time. And... I said, if I don't take this, I'll probably regret it. So I I gave it a shot, and we moved to New York. I was actually in New Jersey, and I commuted to New York City every day and working for L'Oreal as a GM for two of their brands. One is called Kerastase, which is a luxury brand in their portfolio, and L'Oreal Professional, which is a color brand in their portfolio.
0: So you um, picked up the family, moved the family from Canada to um, New Jersey. Um, you shared some really interesting learnings with me on our intake call about what that experience was like, and I think our listeners would really value from it. So what are, what are one of those lessons you learned from picking
1: up the family yeah, and moving? Yeah, one, New Jersey is not New York. <laughs> All right, So it was enticing <laughs> for my 20-year-old kids, girls, to tell them that we're moving to New York, and it's not. I was working in New York. We were living in New Jersey. It's a far train ride from New Jersey to New York where we lived. anyways in Wayne, New Jersey. And uh, and that wasn't appeasing to them over time. And they, they realized that we're not in New York. <laughs>
0: so did they think they are actually moving to New York City? Sure.
1: I mean, mm-hmm. they, they didn't know the geography that well. We're sheltered people in, in Canada. Never, they have never come to New York. I've been a million times. They've never been there. And um, even when we first, um, I, I remember when we first moved, We went from toronto to new york uh we stayed in the city because uh, l'oreal got me a place in the city for a period of time until we found uh, a house and uh when we got the house we we took the drive from new york to new jersey and they realized (laughs) it is not new york (laughs) and that was a a great learning curve but um over time you really need to prep yourself on your surroundings and what it's going to mean to your family more than yourself it's easy for me to uh, adapt because it was, I was busy, you know, it was busy. It was focused on my career. Um, but what was more important is how was my family going to get grounded? We bought a house because I felt that was the best thing to do. We've always owned a house and, and I thought it was best to live in New Jersey because it's more in the country, it's safer, bigger space. We're used to a bigger space and you can't really get that in New York. A little day I know if I, if I talked to my uh, girls, they would have said, "No, let's be in a small place in New York City, and I just want to live the culture and the lifestyle in New York and and soak it all in and and take that experience on." And um, and then we had problems with visas, and uh, we wanted to get a a green card, a resident card, and those take a lot of time. And um, in between all that, there was just just compiling my kids not being happy being in New Jersey. Uh, we're definitely not going to move to New York at this point. We bought a place. My son was moving high schools, having a difficult time. Uh, high school is difficult as as it is. And his first, his, his second year of high school was in a new country in New Jersey. Uh, tough school to be in. We're used to small town schools, not a lot of students uh, going into thousands of students and uh, a football town. We're known to be a hockey town. So very very different you know and uh it had a toll on my my family pretty quickly my, of course my wife was always supportive and my girls decided they're going to move back to toronto and and they did and they left us and um and, and it was fine we we worked it out toronto's not too far from new york which was okay and uh my son was alone for the first time without his siblings and that was a difficult thing and my wife balancing all that out so there's a lot of things you need to balance off and understand and what you realize is is just not all about you, you know, and uh, if you're going to sell it, you, you better deliver what you're going to sell.
0: So um, in retrospect, was the move worth it?
1: Yeah, it's always worth it because we experience a lot. I'll tell you, my daughters will tell you it was a funny situation because we actually moved back to Canada eventually for another job. And my girls decided to move back to the U.S. and on their own uh, to California. And I will tell you that If we didn't make that leap to move somewhere out of our small town in in Toronto, uh, they probably wouldn't have understood that there's other experiences and other places to go and and you can live your life elsewhere and make those those sacrifices. And uh, so if we didn't take the opportunity, we didn't move, uh, we they wouldn't have made the leap and we wouldn't have had other opportunities that came our way as a family or, or myself as an individual. So it's always a learning. We, we don't sit back and regret. The whole family is great that way. I, I certainly don't do that. And I I, I always teach that to, to my family is don't regret. I mean, there's an experience for a reason. You, you're here on earth for a reason and things happen to you for a reason. So you soak it in, learn from it, and, and then move on and it usually makes you a stronger person. So
0: let's talk about that um, sort of Life philosophy because um, it's this idea of moving through struggle um, and acknowledging and honoring the struggle is really challenging for me. Like when I'm going through a struggle, like an unhappy client, right? Like mm-hmm. I'm in the job of making my client's life easier, right? If I have an unhappy client, I'm, I'm sad, right? And then it's very easy for me to take that sadness and like get into a hole with it, right? But maybe. The client's not happy because there's new learning, right? There's something around the corner and something that I need to learn and they need to learn and we need to learn together that's going to make everything awesome later. It sounds like you're able to move from like the, the rim of the hole to what's, what awesome learning is there without getting sure. into the hole. So how do you keep from getting into that hole?
1: Well I mean it's it's not that easy. You make it sound like really really easy. It's not not the case. I mean you always get into your negative mode but something has to take you out of it. So I find my zone. I find something that takes me out of it whether it's listening to music or being alone or finding the ocean, finding water, what, whatever it is, it I find my peace of mind that takes me out of that hole to say I need to think differently. And and um I tell you I because I've started everything. When I was young, I was married young. I had children young. I had my career start young. Um, there's a part of you and it's probably respect for my family or my father. You do it because there's people that depend on you. So, uh, that drive means a lot because you sacrifice a lot for it. And then later, I mean, I'm older now and I look back and say, okay, it's time for me at one point. But when you sacrifice for your kids and your family, you do it and you don't even think twice. And the minute you get sucked into a hole, you feel that you can't do it. You look at them, and you say, "Well, I have to," and you and you drive. So there's, you need to look for that. <clears throat> excuse me, that driving factor, and um, it's there. And that's what I look for. What's that driving factor? And I, I lost my dad at a young age. I was twenty nine when I lost my father. So when you go through something like that, n- nothing else really matters. So I I look at that. That gives me perspective and when you lose a family member you go through something that's that's horrible you sit back and say hey it, it can't be worse than that right. you know and whether it's a a client or for us it's one of my my employees come to me and say, Well, we we're not gonna ship this product in time. Oh really? I mean, there's a shampoo nightmare going on. We're gonna have to <laughs> call 911 shampoo because we can't deliver a shampoo. It, we're gonna get over it. I mean there's other things worse than life that 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 happened. We're we're gonna get over it.
0: Um it sounds like a great boss to have. So it's not a it's not a shampoo NATO, right? Like a shark NATO. It's just a, yeah. a a small stumble. Um how do you think your team responds when you like don't um Treat these things as a huge crisis?
1: You know, it, everyone's different, and the teams I've worked with are, are different. When they understand, I'm very an inclusive, type of manager. Um, I'm very, I, I try to keep it light. We're all going to get pressures, and you'll see it. You'll see it when I'm pressured. You'll see the stress on my face or on my shoulders, and I'll talk to you about it. Uh, you, it, it won't, it'll be up front. So mm-hmm. you'll understand that part of you because I am direct that way. But, uh, But the other part of it is, I have a calmness about me so I I sit back and I like to calm the team because you, I feel that your decisions you you're, you're going to make your decisions smarter decisions if you're calm and you're you're not reactive and you're not emotional and uh, so I th- I think they respect that you know you'd have to ask them but I believe they respect that I will tell you that when I first came to New York and I managed the team here in 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 5th Ave and very competitive in a driving space and so used to working from 6 a.m. to 9 at night and on weekends, um, they didn't get it. it. It took a while for them to understand, hey, yeah, you're a nice guy, but you don't seem to have that sense of urgency, and I do, uh, in the right time, in the right space, and uh, no one needs to get emotional because of it. So. Mm-hmm because I'm not that erratic, over-emotional type of guy. You know, I'm not saying that I don't, I don't get over, I don't, I don't express my emotions, I do, but there's a time and place for that. And sure, I react every once in a while. It takes me a lot to get there. And I feel that just calmer heads prevail. And, and I'm, I'm, that's a big philosophy. And balance of life is a big thing for me because of what I went through and, and, and how I started young. And I see kids today, um, working in New York City, very competitive, and and I say to them all the time, ten years from now, there's parts of you that are going to regret that you you went so crazy for, for what reason. And I'm not saying you don't have to drive. You have to you definitely have to. You're constantly proving yourself and proving to others that you can do it. But there's sacrifices like family and balance that you have to be careful you don't make because that will never come back. And I was thankful that some of the opportunities that came to me came where my kids were older and I did sacrifice and, you know, I had to, my kids moving back, my girls moving back to Toronto and my son going through what he did was a tough thing to swallow. Um, But I will tell you that... I was happier that I did it when they were older and they understood it more than when they were really younger. They didn't understand why their dad wasn't there or why we moved and you pulled them away from their kids, their friends and family. And that's a difficult thing to explain to a nine year old or a six year old or four year old.
0: So what is um, balance and equilibrium look like for you now? Right. Your kids are grown up. You and your wife live in Stanford. Mm -hmm. Um, So what you have work and then what else?
1: Yeah, that's a tough question. So I'm in a different phase in my life, my wife and I, and we have nothing else, right? So <laughs> we're, we're learning, we're under, trying to understand what that something else means, and we're starting to develop that. So that's a, a new level for us that we're trying to figure out. We're, we haven't figured it out yet, but we will. Uh, because, Is that
0: because you had to fill the void of all that time you would have been going to practice right, or picking right.
1: kids up? Right. I mean, there was a point in time when I was working at Sally in Canada um, I coached soccer, I coached soccer for both my girls. Uh, we were on the soccer field seven days a week, literally seven days a week. Uh, and, um, and that kept us busy and we got to meet wonderful families. I got to coach great, great, mostly girls at my daughter's age and my son played as well and got to know the, the family members there. And we just really connected. That became our social scene. They became friends later on and we don't have that now today. My girls are in California; they're living there. My sons in Toronto, living there. We're in Stamford, Connecticut. Uh, we have extended family that we're very close to, so we miss birthdays and and, uh, and special events. And we've always been there. We'll go back for the holidays. We're not used to that, so we're, we're trying to figure out what what it all means. And we're, we're it's not there yet, but we'll we'll figure it out.
0: You have um, so many opportunities now, right? Right, so much time. Yeah. So, um,
1: Netflix is great. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, so you know, with this um, lack of pressure to spend your time, let's say, with your kids, which, you know, certainly fills a plenty of amount of time. Do you, does your body um, react to sort of the seductive nature of work and growing in business where you end up spending more time on work than you'd prefer to be because you don't have this, like, heart out every night?
1: Yeah, absolutely. There's a difference when my wife is out of town, when she goes back home to see my son or Visit the girls in California. and I'm home alone working. Then I'm I'm. That's all I'm doing is working. So it's easy to get sucked, definitely easy to get sucked into that. But when she comes back, it's a different story. I want to go home. I want to spend time with her. I want to go out to dinner, have drinks. You know, we have a small little dog named Abby. We're with her constantly. She's our little baby. So going for walks, doing whatever. You you want to come back. You you definitely do appreciate that time in life. And I felt that way even when I was busy with the kids and coaching and soccer it drives you to go back home and balance. I mean, and I encourage those activities. And later on in life, you'll realize that um, it, it meant so much to us. Um, we look back in the time where we were on the soccer field and say, and you, you talk to parents, young parents now, and, and they think it's it's a real sacrifice and it's a lot of work and takes up a lot of time. And I always tell them, talk to me 10 years from now when your kids are in your 20s and their 19s when when they go away and they you don't you don't see them they're not home they're they have their license they're they have their own life and you're not you're not on the soccer field anymore you're going to miss that so much you're going to miss the surroundings the activity the busyness and you are going to miss your kids you know because somehow you were all together and that's what we found as a family we were always on the soccer field together and there was a little bit of divide and conquer but But most of the time, we ended up at the end of the night together and celebrated something, you know, and uh, that means a lot.
0: Well, thank you so much for sharing all your wisdom and journey with us. Um, I'm getting a little Mm misty-eyed thinking about my kids growing up, and um, I love being around them. I want to make it last forever.
1: Yeah. It's
0: really hard that they grow up.
1: I went to, um, I'll tell you a short story. I went to a leadership uh, seminar, an executive leadership thing that I did uh, in my years. And in there, there was a bunch of executives that were like myself, all he- heading for a CEO position or leadership position. And um, and the whole session was re- about leadership, your leadership style. But there were sessions about balance, you know, how to create balance. Because the culture of creating balance affects you and your family, and but also affects other employees. Because they look at you as a leader and say, if he knows how to balance it, then I should know how to balance it. So there were times where you start to understand how do you interact with people and how do you affect people in your life. And it could be employees, but it can also be your family, your siblings, your extended family. And um, and you would have to tell stories about how, how things in life has, have changed you and how it affected different people in your life. And the biggest question you had is, well how do you think your your family sees you or your your your, anybody that's close to you sees you and um and what do they represent i mean is there a tangible that they represent and i told them a story about one point in my life my daughter who had to do a project about me and my our whole family and and what they represent had symbols of what what they represented and for myself it was a luggage and a blackberry
0: oh god
1: so that's a harsh (laughs) reality Cause I was always on my phone and I was always traveling. So that's something at the time. My daughter was, I think she was 14, 13, 14 at the time. And that's what I, 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 she believed that that's who I was. And that's how, how I was represented. My daughter, my other daughter was a soccer ball cause she loves soccer. My son was video games because he liked that. And my, my wife was all about shopping, which is, those are symbols. My symbol was a luggage and a blackberry and they all re- my whole family reacted like you did. They laughed. I wasn't laughing. I'm sure. I wasn't laughing. And I told that story to executives, and and I'll tell you, it was a hard-hitting thing for them to say, But that's not what I want my kids to feel like. I don't want people to feel that's all I do is I work and I'm on my phone all the time that that can't be it there's got to be more of the life to that
0: I laugh because it's painful and right? it's real I mean yeah, I think if my real. my kids had that project they'd say um show a picture of like bed like I'm always just saying like I want to go to sleep <laughs> leave me alone right. I want to go to sleep because right. I'm like wiped out at the end of the day which is so sad because that's the time we have together right they right. don't get the best version of me um right. and certainly after nine o'clock at night it's very downhill for me um thank you for sharing that story it's very meaningful and um i'm sure it's painting a picture in a lot of our listeners heads right now yeah, no problem i appreciate it well thank you for joining us on the show and for our listeners i hope you enjoyed this interview please subscribe to our series on itunes and for updates about the show follow us on instagram at where brains meet beauty podcast